0: We're looking in Matthew chapter 6 today. Focusing on the Lord's Prayer. With today being Communion Day. It just struck me that's the right time to do that. Be verse 5 specifically. Let's read along. Once I get there. Six, chapter, chapter 6, 5 through 15. And when you pray... And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do ask that you would... Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, opening our minds and hearts to give us understanding, to increase our knowledge, to grow our wisdom and faith and trust in you. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let me take care of a little housekeeping right off the bat. Of course, this is from what we generally call the Beatitudes the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest discourses of all history. And yes, it was Jesus, and that's part of why it was greatest. But beside that, it is a great discourse, a great literary uh, event. Many of you who grew up saying the Lord's Prayer, as our Catholic brothers call it, the Our Father, know that at the end we often say, about the in the power and the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit and that was omitted from what we read the reason for that is it's not anybody making a mistake your bible is comprised of literally thousands of 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 writings and pieces of writings that have been collected over the years i forget the exact number i mean it's it's up thirty, forty thousand different scraps of scripture that have been found, and you're probably aware of the Dead Sea Scrolls. There are more extant is the word extant uh, copies of scripture that was written than there are of uh, Homer's Odyssey and the Iliad. If I said that right, which I've never read, I saw the movie. I'm you know read the Cliff Notes. But in that there are a lot of uh, pieces of scripture that have been preserved and the scholars go over all of that and they try to determine uh, what is God's word. And it was felt later as they have studied that portion added on was added on later in the course of the Christian church and may not be. Jesus' words when he said this prayer to the disciple, in that it was added on by well-meaning Christians, and it's not a bad thing. It's a very good, uh, good verse, but they're trying to depict Jesus' actual words, and so that's why it is now omitted. No, but no conspiracy, no trickery. It's just a scholarly attempt to be as accurate as possible in the Word of God. So that's out of the way. I don't know if that was on your mind. Probably is now. But that's the answer for it. Jesus in this passage of Scripture, this whole section of Sermon on the Mount, gives us enough to chew one that can occupy us for the rest of our life. This right here we'll talk about today. And he starts out talking about prayer and talking about the ones who like to make a show of it. Some, in this case, as Jesus talks about, would even stand in the market square and probably raising their hands and praying and make a big show. And the purpose was more for people to see them and to uh, interpret and think, wow, this is really a religious person, not someone who's actually trying to talk with their God and commune with him and lift up petitions to him. And so Jesus calls those hypocrites, and he says they've received their reward because they got what they wanted. They wanted recognition. They wanted people to see them as ultra-religious, and some people did. And so they received their reward. And then Jesus teaches, but you, when you pray, go into the closet. Get one-on-one with your Lord. And we need to understand that we should not take that to mean public prayer is is totally to avoid. There is a proper place for it for someone to to speak out in a, a, a gathering like this or somewhere else to help draw us in prayer and lift up a common concern to our Father. We unite that way and we need to verbalize it, otherwise we don't know what someone's got on their mind. So Jesus, rather than saying, don't ever don't ever pray in public, is just pointing out through, through opposites the wrong of those who make a show of it, who do it for their own glorification, who do it for the attention and the adoration of man, and rather that it's a matter of the heart where we get one-on-one with God, whether there's 40 of us here, you can still, God's that good, that you can get one-on-one with him in your prayer while someone else is talking. So Jesus is saying that, that and the, the principle we get from that is that prayer is not a performance. It is just talking to the Father. And we can make it too formalized. We can make it too flowery. And some people say, well, I can't pray in public. I I don't sound good. I don't talk it that well. And you know what? Those are probably the prayers that Jesus likes the most. It's someone just pouring out from their heart, God, I'm so burdened. Or God, thank you for the blessing I received. Just what God looks at is the heart. He said that. So much in the Old Testament and other places. Man looks at the outside. God looks at the heart. And so God, when you pray to Him, He's not not a grammatician sitting there and saying, well, they used ain't. Not supposed to use ain't. Uh, They ended that sentence with a preposition. He's not doing that. He's listening to the content of your prayer. He's, he's zeroing in on the expression of your heart. And just like a child comes to us to tell us about their day, and they're excited, and they're bumbling, they can barely get their words out, and they they don't form their sentence just right. As a loving parent, you don't care. You're just excited that they're telling you about jumping in a mud puddle, or they petted a dog, and... These kind of things that bring them joy, and it brings you joy to have them share with you. And you're not, you're not ready, I hope you're not, correcting them. You're not taking that time. There is a time to correct the grammar. There is a time to check vocabulary, but not when they're excitedly coming to you to share with you. That is the surest way to squash them ever talking to you. So don't do that. And God doesn't do that. He he wants you to just be His child and to come share. Share the good, share the bad, share the happy, share the sad. Your Father wants to hear from you. And that's what Jesus is trying to get across. And then as we get into verse 9, He goes on to some other examples before that that some think by saying the same thing over and over and over again, They're somehow going to elicit God to action. And Jesus tells them, Your God knows what you need. You're not telling them anything new. And some of you say, Well, why do you need to pray? Well, because you need the exercise of going to the Father. You need the attitude of, I can't handle this, but I know the one who can. So God knows your needs. He knows he probably already has an answer on the way because he knew how you were going to pray. But you need to come to him, not trying to conjure him into action, not trying to trick him or do any kind of witchcraft, in a sense, to make him form to your will. Just honestly, humbly talk to your father. And so then he goes into the exact prayer. And I, I titled the sermon, The Disciples' Prayer. Don't know if you've ever heard that. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Very clearly, Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. He's teaching his disciples how to pray. And we are disciples. We, we, some of the semantics we get into, when we think of the disciples, we think of the 12. And they were the 12 disciples. But a disciple is anyone who follows the teachings and the ways of another person. And in Jesus' time, there were hundreds if not thousands of disciples. There were those, uh, we have the stories in there about throngs on the hillside and that were listening to Jesus. They were disciples. They were coming to hear his teaching. And so Jesus is talking to all of the disciples, not just the twelve, everyone who is listening to his voice, listening to his teaching for direction. So we call it uh, perhaps more accurately the disciples' prayer and some have said the Lord's prayer is the one that he prayed in the garden when he was facing his arrest and crucifixion and he prays out to the Father, the verse that's on your today's scripture was on the screen where Jesus said, If it's possible for this cup to pass from me, may it be, but not what I want, God, Father, but what you want. So Jesus, God's Son, and that event yielded to the God's the Father leading and what he knew had to happen. So let's look at the disciples' prayer and let's glean some Nuggets from it. It starts out, our Father in heaven. And What Jesus is doing here and what we need to do is when we pray that, we are establishing the proper hierarchy. He's God, I'm his child. He's the Father, I'm his subject. He's supreme, I am flawed. And so when we acknowledge that, we say our Father, we, we recognize that that role in our life of leadership, the one in heaven. So we're acknowledging that He's the supreme God. He is He He's the One. And then it goes on hallowed be your name. May your name be holy. Let's sanctify your name. The Jews were so serious about honoring God's name they wouldn't say it and that's where uh, God back in uh, to, to Moses revealed his name to be Yahweh is the way we pronounce it it's Y-H-W-H the Hebrew language does not have vowels like we do and so we have the scholars I didn't the scholars have discerned how the Jews would have said those letters but they Hallowed Jesus' name, God's name, so much they would not utter his name. Sinful man is not worthy to say the name of God, is their attitude, and they weren't wrong. We aren't worthy. Uh, God is gracious, and God, of course, is an anglicization from the old German uh, uh, that we speak today, but Yahweh. There are many names of God and it's a great study. Adonai, Jehovah Jireh, on and on his name goes that brings out a particular attribute of God. So he's going on here in the same vein. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Again, it's still this adoration of God and acknowledging that he is the great supreme creator and that the kingdom of heaven is following his decree his wishes his desires and Jesus is teaching us to pray that that would come to earth as we follow God's kingdom as we follow the ways of his kingdom that Jesus opened up to us, life can become so much more bountiful. And that is when Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and that more abundant. When we follow the ways of God, when we obey him, it, 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 It eases the the discord between us. It helps us have focus and direction. It gets us unified in peace and grace. And so this prayer is acknowledging that God's way is best, and we need to align to it. His way is supreme, and we need to accept it as our own. So that's the initial part of the prayer. It's establishing who God is, and who we are, and who we are towards him. That is a very critical part of our mentality and our prayer, and it ties in to the physical posture we take when we pray, where if we're standing, we bow our head out of reverence and honor. We kneel, literally kneel before God, I know it's hard i got old knees too that don't like to do that but when i will do that in my personal study my personal time at home getting in that bodily posture helps me get my spirit in the right orientation with god we are our bodies are we learn by psychomotor skills and the way Uh, You play piano as your fingers just know where to go. You can't play the piano well by saying, okay, that's an A and then a C and then a B flat. You'll be way behind everybody singing. Your hands just have to know where to go. That's a psychomotor skill. As we kneel, our body learns, I'm kneeling before God, and it helps draw us into that reverence. That's why. It's not that it really adds anything to our words but it helps us get our mind in the right condition of praying if you can't get on your knees or you can't get up from your knees there are still there are ways as you pray that you can be in submission now we know that you can pray driving down the road and you don't need to bow your head and close your eyes but god is there protecting us keeping us and we can talk to them but in those quiet moments and that time of personal study it is helpful uh, to lay down I talk about Dr. Stanley a lot I was blessed to be at the church uh, worked as a janitor there at one time and I got to know his secretary at the time very well Dorothy went by dot and one day we we're talking and she said, you want to see his prayer room? I said, I'd love to. Dr. Stanley wasn't there at the time. Wasn't at the church. So she went in, we went into his office and he had a, a wall there and it was one of those walls. There was a door in it, but you couldn't see it. And the wall opened up and went in and it was a room maybe five feet wide. It was very long because it was the length of the office. And he had it set up, and and part of his mode of prayer, he would go in that room, and with the door closed, if somebody walked in, they would think he wasn't there, so he wouldn't be disturbed. And he would lay prone before the Lord, all the way on the floor, praying, talking to God, in order, again, to help establish that position of who God is and who He was. And that was his dedication. And I, I, I loved getting to see that going on. So we've, we've adored our God. We've established who he is. We've oriented our hearts in the right framework. Then we come to the Father and say, give us this day our daily bread. And bread there, I looked it up in the Greek, means bread. Okay, it's no metaphor. It, it's the food that we eat. But what stood out to me is give to me my daily bread. Asking God to provide for me today. Not asking him to to load me up for the next 100 years, 50 years, 20 years, whatever I've got. Trusting him each day for his provision. So many of us sometimes think that we would like to know what our future is. I I bet we don't really. If we knew the challenge we were going to face over the next few years, we'd probably shrivel up and give up. But by trusting and walking with God each day, relying on Him, listening to Him, we can face those challenges. They would overwhelm us, and I believe you could look back on your life and you could think if, if you had known what you would have faced over the last 10 years all at once, you'd probably give up, wouldn't you? I can't do that. I can't, I, I'm not going to be able to do it. But by walking with God every day, relying on Him for your sustenance, not only your food, but your strength, your wisdom, your knowledge, you made it, and you're here today. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or if you're like me, you learn it, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Again, the Greek word there really has two meanings. One is literally; It means the debt that we owe, the money we owe, uh, a, a real debt. But it can also be used as a metaphor to mean the offenses and sins that we have committed primarily against another individual. Not so much against God, although that's there too. But it's more practical. So it means our literal debts. But it also means forgive us in those ways that I've wronged somebody. And then it says, as we have forgiven those that have wronged us, those that owe us a debt of being wronged. And in that way, in that metaphorical version, trespasses works a lot better than physical debts. I think that gets into the real meaning of where Jesus worked is forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In other words, Lord, show us grace. I've shown, I'm showing others grace, so please show me grace. And that's what that would mean there. Uh, and then Jesus goes on, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. An evil one there is really a more accurate translation than just evil. We have an enemy. We have uh, a roaring lion roaming, seeking whom he may devour. We have one that wants to stop us from worshiping Jesus, stop us from living for him, stop us from proclaiming his name. He does not want Jesus exalted, and he will come against God's people as God's people become effective. And so Jesus is leading them to take that moment to pray that God would deliver us. We have a picture in the Old Testament where it is uh, prayed for that God would place a hedge of protection around his servant in the Old Testament times in order to protect the livestock. And Sue and I saw this when we were in Africa. We went to a Maasai village and they had their livestock and their fence, was a fence of thorns and brambles that not even a lion, and I don't know if an elephant would want to get through there, but elephants don't eat cattle, so that, that was safe. But man certainly would not get through that thorn bush. It was a hedge of protection. And so that was the picture given in the Old Testament as around his, his servant asking to have a hedge of protection. Jesus, God says, I have placed a hedge of protection. And that's a valid prayer that you can say. If you're feeling the attacks and the slings and arrows and this kind of thing, it's very valid to say, God, please place your hedge of protection around me and not let anything get through to me that you will not allow. Lead us not into temptation. Don't let us sin. And deliver us from the evil one. And then this is most poignant here. How Jesus ends it. Very direct statement. Very unequivocal statement. If you forgive men when they sin against you, the Father in heaven will forgive you. If you do not forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. Words of Jesus pointing up through this prayer, through this end, how important it is to have a forgiving spirit. To not hold those offenses against a person, to not bear a grudge, to not nurse a wound, but to have a forgiving spirit. Very often, too often, we do have wrongs committed against us. People do us dirty. They, uh, they talk about us uh, different things. Some great, some small. But we can, ha- and, and they'll never come and ask for forgiveness. You can be face to face with them. They can know and you can know they've done wrong, but they'll never say I'm sorry. Much as we want it. But we can still have a forgiving attitude towards them we can still be gracious and that's what Jesus is saying here that as we are forgiving and gracious to others our Father in heaven will be gracious to us but if we are not forgiven in other words if we hold on to my rights to my reputation if we firmly and and uh, just very uh, uh, assuredly uh, stand by our guns that I was wronged, and I ain't going to do nothing until this happens. That's an unforgiving spirit. And it's not the spirit of God, and so it's not in tune with God. And if we insist on our rights and defending our rights, then our Father will not and in a sense cannot work on our behalf. We have to yield everything to Him. Once we yield whatever it is, our hurts, our anger, uh, the wrongs against us, uh, once we yield it to Him, then He can do His work and do it better than we could even imagine. And we may not see it, but we trust that our Father in heaven is watching out for us. So Jesus is in this prayer that we can let roll off our tongues without even thinking has such depth and that's why it is so important in our lives and we enjoy reciting it. We take solace in reciting it and and speaking this prayer. But it is not only a prayer of comfort and assurance, And asking for help, it is a prayer of contrition as we forgive our debtors. As I trust you for my daily sustenance in whatever way that is. As I ask you to protect me from those attacks that I can do nothing about and may not even know about. We are contrite before the Lord acknowledging him as the almighty God and our need to be sheltered under his wings. I love that verse as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem he stops for a moment and he looks down on the city and his heart is burdened for his people the Jews. And it says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you had accepted me, I'm paraphrasing, I would have taken you under my wings as a mother hen. Beautiful picture of a hen protecting her chicks, protecting them from a hawk wanting to swoop them away, protecting, sheltering them, and we all know the comfort of laying against our mother and feeling her warmth and protection. And that's Jesus' heart towards his people. And yet, if that one chick runs out from under the mother's wings, they become prey to every predator out there. If we refuse to take that contrite spirit and shelter under... Jesus' wings, under God's protection, we expose ourselves to every attack out there. It's all about acknowledging that he is God, the creator, the supreme, and submitting to his leadership and his protection and his direction in what he would have us to do.